Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Corinne Altamare, and she is the co-founder of Hearth Fire Holdings, a private equity firm focused on self-storage with a growing portfolio across the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic regions. So I'm super excited to have Corinne join us on the show today. Welcome, and how are you doing, Corinne? Eileen, thank you for having me. So can you start off, Corinne, by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure. So I had a couple of careers before I came to real estate. First, I was a professional opera singer for a number of years. And then I worked for the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia as a project manager within the IT department there, working on large-scale programs for the U.S. Treasury. And so I started investing in real estate as a way to build up passive income for myself so that when I was done in my time working for the Fed and maybe wanted to go back to my artistic pursuits, I would have some some passive income there to support me no matter how much or more realistically how little my passions would uh, pay me for. So that's how I started. I started in multifamily, did nine full cycle deals in our first seven years there and then pivoted to storage. And so for you, how did you get started in multifamily to begin with? And then was it all passively investing? No, it was all active. So I've been hands-on, owner-operator, active management from the very beginning. The first one was a triplex in Philadelphia. And so I purchased that as an owner-occupant. It came with two tenants in place, so perfect. And how I actually got started, I'm very, very blessed in that my parents, when I was born, opened up a whole life insurance policy for me. And that grew untouched for 18 years until I borrowed against it to pay for college. It's how I got my two college degrees without any school loans. And then worked, 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 worked to pay it back and then borrowed against it again for the down payment for my first acquisition. So that's the very nuts and bolts of how I did it as far as financially. A mix of obviously qualifying for a mortgage, (laughs) thanks to my W-2 and having that as some savings or funds that I could tap into, put them to work to create more for my future. So then how were you able to grow it from the one first multifamily triplex to, I think you said, was it seven or nine deals? Nine deals. Nine. That was through syndication. So we did, it was a total of five syndications and then four personal projects that we raised money from family and very close friends. And I say we, because all of this has been accomplished with my partner in life and business, my husband, Sergio Altamare. So we raised the funds from family, friends. We served as the property managers, the asset managers, sourcing the deals, managing it throughout the whole life cycle, but serving as GPs, personally signing on all the loans, and then being responsible for the day in, day out operations, as well as the distributions to our limited partners. So then fast forward to after the multifamily aspect of asset class, what did you get into afterwards? So storage, self-storage. So we turned that, if you want to really boil it down from one three-unit triplex to 
seven years later, a 22,000 net rentable 250 storage unit facility with 15 of our family and friends. That's what we did next. And why did you decide to make that transition and shift? And what did you see in the market that allowed you to move from multifamily to self-storage? Yeah, we were looking for something a little bit more scalable, right? From getting to higher number of doors under one roof, something that was more recession resilient because I started in 2012. We'd been kind of on a massive upward run since post-2008, right? So knowing that by and large economic cycles move in about 10-year time frame horizons, we were looking for something that would perform strongly through a market downturn or correction, which we expected to be somewhere between 2018 to 2020. So we made that acquisition in 2019, just in the nick of time. We were able to get all of our business operations uh, up and running right before COVID came in and shut the world down. Storage was an essential service. We had all of our tech and backend operations implemented. So we really seamlessly transitioned to being all contactless, completely self-serve, remote. And so our theory was very quickly borne out and we saw the fruits of that and were validated in that decision to make that move. And so today your focus is in self-storage? Correct. We have 13 locations across five states, primarily in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Was most of that growth during the pandemic timeframe or was it a little bit afterwards? Kind of walk us through from that 2019 first acquisition in self-storage to growing to 13 facilities. Yeah. So 2020 was a just focus on breathing and hang on for dear life sort of year. And then 2021, we caught up, we acquired 10 more facilities. 22, we acquired four more facilities. We sold the first one from 2019. So that brings us to the 13 that we're at today. Right now, as of us recording this, we're under PSA on four and in active LOI negotiations on a handful of others. So what we focus on after the one and the lesson learned in our multifamily years of hustling and wearing all the hats and doing all the things was that to truly achieve scale with the business, and this is never going to be something passive for me, right? I'm the owner. This is always going to be a very active endeavor for us while we did leave our W-2s. This is still, I mean, this is our baby. This is our lifeblood, right? So we're very much involved. There's not an ounce of this that is passive. But the biggest lesson learned and a big shift in where the work happens for us now is instead of the day-to-day operations and working in the business, we're working on the business, which means our focus is on hiring an excellent team, setting them up for success, making sure that we're positioning the team to implement upon the overall business vision and strategy. And so the past 12 to 18 months, really, once we made those large acquisitions and grew the portfolio, of course, it was not something that the two of us could handle ourselves, right? So the focus then had to be on making sure that we were assembling the right team and giving them all the tools that they needed from us to continue to drive the ship forward and deliver to our investors and bring those projects about. As you were growing and scaling that portfolio, how did you decide which markets to focus on? And did you have a preference on certain specific areas within those markets? Yeah, we started in our backyard. We actually operated the first one ourselves. It was about an hour and 15 drive from our home. And so what we did was we purchased a travel trailer, set it up on site. It was kind of our crash pad. Our daughter was two at the time. So we split the weeks and 
one of us would be out there on site Monday to Wednesday, and then Wednesday was our turnover day, and the other one would be out there Wednesday through Saturday. So that's how we started in our backyard, somewhere local where we could keep our fingers on the pulse and boots on the ground. We then grew our presence there to a portfolio of six. So we still have one manager who manages all the sites now and our asset manager manages the manager, right? But so that's how we started. And then we've spread out into other markets that had similar profiles, still staying relatively closer to home, right? Massachusetts, and Delaware are very accessible for us here. Even Virginia is a quick, I think we've actually driven down there to do due diligence and such. Indiana portfolio came through broker relationships. So it was kind of a pocket listing that got to us before the larger market. So that's how we started venturing out. We haven't gone full out to the other coast yet. We'll see what the future has for us. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so you mentioned also self-storage is more of a resilient asset class to get into. How did it perform during that pandemic time coming out of it? And where do you see it today? Oh my gosh, fantastically. I mean, industry-wide, we were seeing rates 20% up year over year. There was just this huge boom of utilization because people had to clear out their homes to make space for a home office, right? For remote work or for a home schooling situation for children at home, right? With all the virtual schooling that was happening. So there was a massive wave of increase of not only utilization, more and more people using storage, but then the rates driving that premium demand pricing to accommodate for that. So we've seen some of that start to taper off and things to kind of settle back to slightly higher than pre-pandemic levels, depending on your market, depending on what kind of storage facility you have, which is not the end of the world to see things start to kind of moderate back off. Acknowledging that COVID was what it was, it was a spike in a moment of time, right? And now we're kind of, we're stabilizing. It's still on the positive upward trend as far as overall utilization rates. We're still driving rents in our markets where we are. So hopefully that answered the question. <laughs> What kind of rent increases are you seeing year over year in the self-storage space? So that's going to depend on your market. I think generally industry-wide, we might be at 9 to 11%. That would be me trying to remember those <laughs> industry stats. Yep. And then you said while you were building up this side of the business as well and growing that portfolio, you had a daughter or you had your first two-year-old at that time. And so I'd love to ask, you mentioned you and your husband had to split your time between the two of you when you were in the early stages of that portion. How did you also help look at family life and be able to balance between growing the business and your family and then that side of the things? I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't think it's possible. I think there are different phases of life where one is going to take a priority and the other is going to have to take a back seat. just being realistic. The concept of a completely balanced 
work and personal life, I haven't seen it borne out. We're getting maybe a little bit more of our life back now as we've built up our team around us and are no longer wearing all the hats across all of the business verticals. But there's always going to be seasons where something requires more priority than the other. And as long as we give ourselves grace and make peace with that, then you're able to truly cherish whichever season you're in, right? Like if it's a heavy and really exciting work season and like like all these great projects coming at you left and right, all your people are humming on level 10s across the team, then run with that, love that time, really live it up. And then when that time comes to its natural end or breathing point or pause or introspection point, then we turn and spend, make sure that we're spending family time. So I don't know if that was exactly an answer to your question. That's my most honest feedback to it and how we have managed and built and conducted our lives. So where do you see the business going next? And what is your next focus coming up here? Our next focus is finding more deals, executing on the deals that we have. We've expanded the profile of projects that we do from value add, which is straight kind of business operational backend tech and revenue management, those kinds of improvements, which are all fun kinds of levers that you can play with with storage. And one of the many differentiators of it compared to multifamily storage is really a business operation within real estate. So we have a lot more ways to drive NOI. So next we're doing, in addition to value add, large expansions. We have multiple sites where we're more than doubling the existing square footage. We're also doing our first couple of ground up development deals. We're very excited about that. And continuing to feed the pipeline across all three profiles of those kinds of investment categories. What do you see the difference of being the ground up development side of self-storage base versus purchasing an already existing building or uh, property? Yeah. So finding existing properties that pencil right now when you're buying at a six cap and your debt is going to be somewhere around eight just doesn't work. That's also a big driver for why we're pivoting to ground up development. We're finding better yield there for our investors. Of course, it's going to be longer until you see any return, right? It's going to be a probably call it three to four years to get the land fully entitled, to get the ground broken, building up and out of the ground, leased up, and then either refinance or sell and return to the investors, their original principal, and then some. So it's a different profile. And that's also why we are excited to be offering our investors multiple profiles of projects, right? So depending on their investor appetite, we can ideally match them with the right kind of project that'll meet their needs. We might not have all three options available at once, but during the course of 12 months and a year, we'll be able to offer quite a variety. Speaking from the investor standpoint of things, the ones who have invested previously in existing projects and have been able to see those returns that are cash flowing immediately versus the development side of the project, which takes a little bit longer times to recoup those returns. Is there more of an appetite to move to that direction as well? Or are they newer investors who are looking to get into the development and building up that side of their investment portfolio? It's hard to say right now because a lot of people are just scared and sitting on the sidelines and don't know which way the economy is going to go. And so in a confused mind says no, right? And so in us not knowing the state of our future, I'm hearing from and seeing a lot of folks that are just sitting out right now, which is a shame because recessions are an opportunity to really make some fantastic returns in the long term. So I would be lying to you and to me if I were to try to answer this question as far as what people want more of right now. I think people want stability and 
nobody can guarantee or offer that. So it's interesting times that we're in. So Corinne, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Well, it's completely changed it. (laughs) So I will say it has given me much more exciting and adventurous life. It's been fun and we're just getting started. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I would have scaled faster. I spent a long time feeling like, and maybe this was distrust or ego, feeling like we both had to do all the things or how to find the right team or partners or employees to trust, to delegate to in order to grow faster and go bigger. So we eventually worked through that after our multifamily stint. I don't regret it. We learned all those lessons for a reason, but that would be my biggest, whatever the question was, the the biggest one thing that I've learned. Yep. How did you eventually shift the mindset into thinking the way you do now? I think that was us making a conscious decision to surround ourselves with different people, exposing ourselves to different networking groups, masterminds, other CEOs, other entrepreneurs, business founders, and people who were 10 years ahead of us down the road and had gone through that journey, recreating the people and the scenarios in our lives to surround ourselves with people that we were initially intimidated to be around, right? Setting ourselves up to be the small fish in the big pond and learning from all of that and soaking all of that in. Um, that really allowed us to make some big shifts. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Perseverance. Just keep on getting up. So Corinne, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in this space? Our website is hrcapital.com. All the information about us is there. Awesome. Corinne, thank you so much for all of your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.